everyone, and welcome back to the Red Beard Outdoors podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and here at Red Beard Outdoors, I talk about faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors, my journey, incorporating those four aspects into my life, and on days like today being the Saturday sit-down edition or episode of the podcast, I get to share an amazing conversation that I've had with some outstanding individuals. Uh, today is Jermaine Hodge. If you haven't heard of him, you're probably not into calling elk, which is great because he also goes into other amazing things in this conversation, uh, but he is very passionate about calling in elk. He's sharing that with his children, his family. Uh, he loves living in Colorado. Just an overall amazing guy with an awesome career under his belt already and looking to continue to move forward uh, with many, many things in the future. So before we get into that conversation, guys, I just want to remind you that I do this podcast because I want to share these great conversations with you on Saturday. On Monday, I get to share some gear reviews, thoughts that I have on gear. Uh, very, my humble opinion, I'm not some outstanding expert when it comes to gear, but I get to share with you my opinion and my, uh, my takes on it, whether or not you should go get this gear or not. And then on Wednesday, of course, I get to share solo episodes with you guys, my thoughts on a quote, scripture, uh, something, share a story, but a solo episode, quick and short, to the point on Wednesdays to get you through the rest of the week. Well, today, before we share the, the great conversation that I had with Jermaine, I'd like to, of course, give a shout out to the show's sponsors. Uh, first and foremost, of course, I'd love to have you over at Redbeard's Fit Crew. All right, it's a private group over on Facebook. If you don't have a Facebook, I totally understand. Shoot me an email. My email's down below. I've had a couple people do that, and I'm able to get you in on the Zoom calls uh, that we have every Wednesday uh, for that group, and I'd love to have you in there. Come and join us over at Redbeard's Fit Crew. Again, the link's down below for all of these things that I mentioned, guys, so you don't have to memorize anything. Uh, as far as the podcast is going, I'm growing over on YouTube as well. I appreciate your support over there. I'm getting out those videos that I get to, to share those conversations and gear reviews. Of course, as well, First Form is a great affiliate here with the show. I love First Form as far as the company is concerned, the culture. I love working with them. And, of course, First Form Outdoors. There's a group on Facebook as well if you'd like to join that. Uh, if not, I completely understand not having a Facebook. But First Form Outdoors, guys, it's a growing branch of the company, First Form, meeting some amazing individuals there, and I'm just telling you guys, it's something you want to be a part of. So go join First Form Outdoors group, and if you need any type of supplements, whether it be protein, multivitamin, fish oil, greens, whatever it may be, shoot me a message, email, along those lines, I'd love to answer your questions, and I wouldn't recommend any other company. Great quality, U.S. company, go check them out. Alpen Fuel for your backcountry nutrition. Alpen Fuel and Heather's Choice. Uh, go check those companies out. Heather's Choice for your meals. Alpen Fuel for your granola for breakfast, or if you like granola in the middle of the day or the afternoon, uh, definitely Alpen Fuel. If you're looking for some type of warm meal, go check out Heather's Choice. Both companies, amazing. Won't tear up your gut uh, when you're backpacking, hunting, camping, hiking, whatever it may be in the backcountry. Go check out those two companies for your backcountry nutrition. Kafaru, of course, the best backpacks on the market, guys. By far, hands down, best backpacks on the market. Great frames, the duplex light frame, and then thousands of combinations over there on kafaru.net. Go check them out and uh, let me know if you have any questions or give them a call over there. Customer service is 
Hands down, best customer service. They'll get you in the right pack. BlackOvis.com. Again, link down below, guys, to save some money. BlackOvis has a great conglomeration of, if that's even a word, if I can English today, but a bunch of stuff for the outdoors that you need from cooking utensils to glassing to clothing. Go check out BlackOvis.com. If you need some oil for your beard, if your beard's itchy, if you want it to just look better, if you want it to smell good, uh, go check out affectbeard.com. Get your beard oil and your beard butter and go support a great individual. And 10% of all proceeds go to charity, guys. So keep that in mind as well. And of course, last but not least, guys, all in digiscoping. If you're looking for the best digiscoping option on the market, go check out all in digiscoping link down below and use code redbeard 10% off and free shipping. All right, guys, without further ado, here's the great conversation I had with Jermaine Hodge out of Colorado. And here we go. All right, everyone got an awesome guest here for you guys. You might recognize Jermaine. Uh, he is an, a champion elk caller. Uh, he's had quite a bit of success just this season alone. And, uh, you know, he just, he works with Phelps and uh, his son too. I, I've offered to pay for his son to hop in my backpack. I'm sure I'm not the only person, but uh, it, it, he's training his son up right. So, but Jermaine, you know, let people know who who you are, kind of you in a nutshell. Um, introduce yourself. Who are you? Uh, so yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Um, so as as you said already, my name is Jermaine Hodge, and uh, I'm originally from North Carolina, and then uh, I joined the military right after school not high school after college. And then, uh, I was chasing the dream of trying to, to win Olympic medals and world medals. So I got the chance to come out to Fort Carson and try out for the world-class athlete team. I ended up making it in 2004, joined in 2005, and I've been out here in Colorado since, but my, my love for hunting has always been in my heart. And lo and behold, I moved to a state that has a lot of, a lot of elk here. And, uh, uh, I've been chasing elk since 2006 and I've been successful year in and year out. That's amazing. Yeah. It's uh, and it's awesome. You know, I, I, just before hopping on here, guys, I figured out he was a, he's an, he's an athlete. You know, he, you look in shape, right. You know, meeting you in person, you can tell you've got that, that strong, uh, you know, just handshake and everything about you, man. But I didn't realize you were an, an athlete still. And so uh, that that's amazing. Other than, of course, you know, mountain athlete, right? You're getting out there chasing right. out. That's hard enough. Right. Um, but that's that's amazing, man. So you're you're juggling a lot of stuff, right? You've got your career. Uh, you've got the passion for elk hunting, which that in and of itself can take over your life. And uh, you've got kids. I got two kids, a boy and a girl. I hit a home run. I'm done. <laughs> there you go you got one of each <laughs> yep that's yep. awesome yeah i didn't stop till we had five so <laughs> yeah, i'm, I'm building my own baseball me. team over here that's what i'm trying that's what i'm there, trying to do there you go <laughs> that's awesome uh that's so funny. yeah so you ended up out in fort carson uh well just let's just talk a little bit about first of all uh you know just from where you've come from we're both from north carolina um were you born and raised in north carolina no, I was I was an army brat. So uh, my I was born in Texas, uh, Colleen, Texas, Fort Hood, and then we uh, my parents moved immediately to uh, I think they got stationed up in uh, up in New York somewhere, 
and that's where my brother was born. And then they moved from there to North Carolina. So I was, I could, I could say you know, born and raised. I probably should have been born and raised because I've been in North Carolina ever since I can remember. Yep. I can hear it. I, I honestly, man, I don't know if you, you're the same way, but I miss that accent sometimes when I go back home and I get to hear it. It's a, it's amazing yep. that you haven't lost it because uh, you know, I, I went down to Mexico for two years, served a mission, came back and I I've basically lost my, my North Carolina accent, except for when I say North Carolina and uh, and mm-hmm. when I get frustrated, my wife's like, I can tell you're frustrated, even though you're, you're saying you're not because your accent's coming out. So <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, well, that, I, that... I, it, I actually thought I lost it. And then everybody's like, you're not from here. So where are you from? And then then they say, oh, I can hear it. I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm, my wife listens to it every day. So she she can't tell. And I can never tell. And then you hear it from other people. Yeah, you definitely ain't from Colorado. I'm gonna have to listen to see if that affects your elk calling at all. If, if you got that southern twang in there, <laughs> oh, maybe just a little. Bit. Maybe that's what they like so much. That's why they come into you. They're like, wow, what's this? What's this little twang he's got there at the end? Let's check out this guy." <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So, okay, uh, raised army brat, ended up going. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about this. You know, the the sports side of things because I'm I'm genuinely interested. Um, you know, I, I talk a lot about you know, faith, family, fitness, and the outdoors, right? That's basically the, those four pillars. I've noticed that people who are successful in their lives consistently, not just blowing up, you know, going viral, whatever, but consistent success and improving their lives, they incorporate those four things into their lives. And so I'm, and and I never wrestled. Um, I've gotten into jujitsu lately. I love it. I love martial arts. I played sports growing up and I always had a, a big respect for the wrestlers because at that age, learning, you know, through high school and junior high, learning how to cut weight uh, may not necessarily be the healthiest thing, but the discipline behind it um, it is a big deal, you know, and that's something that, you know, yes, there's discipline in all sports, but with wrestling, I'm trying to push my son that direction, uh, you know, because there's less head injuries compared to football, et cetera. Um, But let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about your, maybe your wrestling journey or your sports journey a little bit here. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I started wrestling at the age of 12 and, um, then it, you know, it became something that I absolutely love to do. My brother, you know, was right behind me in those footsteps. And, um, you know, we, we went on through high school and, and wrestled, uh, I was a couple of times, uh, state champ, you know, an all American. And then, uh, then we went to college, two separate colleges. Me and my brother went, I went across, you know, the U S to, last in college and then he went up to uh Lock Haven University. And then we kind of met in the middle on our junior years of college and then went to UNC Pembroke for a little while. And um I was juggling so many different things that um I needed to I, I just really needed to focus on one thing and that was wrestling to me. So but at the same time you got to make money, you got to be able to do this. So I knew the wrestler I knew the army had a wrestling team. I just didn't know how to get there. And uh, once I joined the army, I got stationed at, uh, in, in Korea. And when I did, um, the first sergeant came out with a laundry list of things that you can do. And they had a wrestling tournament at Camp Casey, you know, a couple hours from where I was. And uh, I went up there, wrestled in that tournament, won that tournament. And then the athletic director asked me if I wanted to wrestle in this next tournament the following weekend. And I did that. And then he kind of said, who are you, man? And I gave him a little bio of myself. And then uh, and then he said, well, b- 
that was back in the day when you had the paper jam, everything, fax it up. Well, nowadays it's all on computers and digital stuff. So uh, he got me signed up for All Army, which is a sister program for the World Class Athlete Program. So basically they bring in soldiers from different uh, different stations and they see if they can make the World Class Athlete Program. So back then it was about three months of training and then they feed you to the wolves, basically. So within three weeks of being here at, in Fort Carson, Colorado, um, I had the head coach asking me if I wanted to be a part of the, the World Class Athlete Program. Of course, it was just grinding it out, discipline, stay on it, work hard, and good things will happen. So, um, lo and behold, I go to nationals and and I I make this I meet the standard to to make the program. There's a standard that you have to meet to be able to come into the program. Then 2005, I got orders to Fort Carson to be a part of the world class athlete program. And from that point on, it was the journey of trying to make a world team, trying to make a well. I mean, first of all, first steps. You know, the first steps was, hey, I need to win a national title. And then when that happened, then it was, hey, I need to make a world team and then make this Olympic team. So uh, I was blessed to, to to be a part of a lot of great athletes and be a part of their journey and also them pushing me to be who I am. So, um, you know, throughout my journey, I, I wrestled all the way up until 2016 before I laid my shoes down. And now I'm one of the coaches for the female wrestlers that wrestle freestyle. So, um, so I'm, I, I'm doing both sides of it. Now I, I competed for years and, and now I'm, I'm one of the coaches and watching, you know, my athletes live their dreams and help them achieve their goals. So yeah, I, w- I was fortunate enough to, to be a part of like, I don't know, maybe six or seven uh, national teams and then uh, be, be a couple time alternate for uh, world teams and stuff. So it was, it's, it was a fun journey, but now it's uh now it's all about watching them. That's amazing, man. That that's that's truly a good story there. That's uh, you know, again, a lot of people think college or then professional sports right after that, but making a making a national team like representing the US um in that way and then being able to make a world team, you know, even uh whether it be as an alternate or or first string or man, I'm probably butchering the the terminology there, but either way. Um, that's, that takes a lot of skill, a lot of effort. Um, were you, you know, did your family wrestle growing up or was that something you just picked up as you went through school? Yeah, no, me and my brother were the first ones to, to, to wrestle for the family. So, uh, you look back throughout the journey of of the Hodge family, no one wrestled. It was just me and him. So I think it was just that, that fight mentality that we had Mm -hmm. and, and, that grit and grime and it kind of just translated for wrestling because I mean, let's, you know, let's be real. All wrestling is, is a fight with rules, <laughs> you know? Yep. So you just put some rules in there that you can't hit and stuff. So, uh, but basically it's grappling and trying to throw this guy on his head. Yep. There you go. No, that, that, that's amazing, man. And, and what weight class did you wrestle at? Um, well in high school, of course, you know, they, they have a whole bunch of different weight classes in high school, I went from like 112, 119, 125, as you're hitting those growth spurts. Mm-hmm. Um, here on the open level, um, senior open level, I, I wrestled 121, which is 55 kilos. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, that's a fast weight class. So I've got a buddy that uh, he coaches over at NC State now. Um, he, mm-hmm. was, uh, he was either two or three times state champ. 
uh, in high school. He wrestled at 189. And those dudes are big. Like he walks around at probably 215. And he's a yep. he's a stout guy. And uh and, and anyway, he he's done awesome for himself and seeing him and going through what he's what he's gone through um and what he's doing now is amazing. And uh and then but watching the 125 guys Man, whenever I'd go to those meets and I'd see the 125 guys, I'm like, and I don't remember much weight classes under that, but those 125 guys were fast. Like you blink and they've got them flipped. Like it just, it's ridiculous how fast and powerful uh, that weight class is. So that that's awesome, man. That's kudos to you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And, and there's definitely, you know, when you, when you take things outside the U S too, there's probably even more because most people aren't, you know, as stout as, uh, guys in the U.S., right? So I imagine there's probably even more competition taking it outside of the U.S. Um, with just kind of smaller built individuals. Anyway, is that that seem yes right? Yeah, yes, it's it's tougher because I wrestled uh, Greco-Roman wrestling, which is all mm. upper body attacks, so you can't attack the legs at all. I oh. know you know most of, most of everybody's familiar with folk style during high school or middle school, where you have a different position. Where we're talking about Greco-Roman and freestyle. Those those positions are totally different because you have parterre rules, which is one guy's down on the mat, flat on the mat, and one guy's on top, and we're trying to expose their back for additional points. So instead of holding them down and, and riding them for time like you would see in college, we don't do that. We try to expose their back because if we can expose their back, we gain in more points. So hmm. it's very different and it's very difficult, especially Greco-Roman, because everybody in the world is good at Greco-Roman. So mm-hmm. when you go overseas, it's it's tough. Yeah, no, I, I imagine that's that's crazy. I'd have to look up those rules because that's I guess what I what I'm used to watching is, you know, the the, the using the legs for takedowns. And um, yep. I guess what you're and you were saying, that's more folk style. Folk style. Yep. OK, cool. Yeah, That's more cool. of your high school and your college wrestling. And then you have freestyle, which you still can attack the legs, but you have the parterre rules inside of that. So the rules are totally different than your your college wrestling, your high school wrestling. This is more of your your senior open uh, trying to make an Olympic team. This is Olympic-style wrestling. Mm, okay, man. That's... That's a lot more complicated than I realized. <laughs> yes, I thought you just try and get someone on their back and hold them there. So that that's that's cool. So it's a lot more like you know playing chess. Um, there it is. There's a lot more yep. a lot more things to it and and learning how to score points. That's awesome. Um, well, cool, man. So how so just kind of walk us through. So that that's kind of your fitness journey. Obviously, wrestling is is a year round thing that you're always prepping for. You're always training, especially when you get to national and world level. Um, you know, I, I know some Olympic athletes that, uh, they trained at the headquarters over there in Colorado. Um, and they lived there at the facility. Um, and, and just like, it was year round weightlifting for them. Uh, Cause they were in, in, uh, you know, the weightlifting, I'm going to butcher that, but whatever that is. So I can only imagine, you know, your lifestyle basically revolves around making sure you're in shape, um, and that your mindset's in the right spot so that you can, you know, go to that match and whatever you're doing now, being as a, as a coach, you've kind of swapped roles there, but you're still a fit guy. So talk to us a little bit about that too. How, how does fitness play a role into your life, whether it be just you personally, also with your job, but also your family kind of dip into those different categories there. Yeah. So, um, the, it, it's changed since I was an athlete, but it, it hasn't as much, um, I'm always still on the mat wrestling with these guys, um, just not as much as I would as if I was competing. So I, I get to stay in shape through that um, 
And I use that as a tool for me to be ready for the Elkwoods. So if I can get out here and wrestle with them for, we don't have to go six minutes, which is, you know, a match. If I can go with them for three to four minutes, then I'm just as good in as in shape as if I was if I was going six minutes on a match mm. in a match with them. So your your in shape level might not be exactly the same as if I was if I was competing, but mm. I'm still doing the same things. And the only thing that changes for me is I get to eat what I want to eat now versus when I was competing. So when I was competing, I had to really hone in on w- watching what I ate. So I would say if if you're you know a bigger fella or or a bigger individual and you yeah. want to watch that aspect of it, that should be a year round thing that you should always watch too as well. But, um, but as a former athlete, uh, I live in a gym still, I live in a gym still. So the the tools are available for me. So someone that doesn't have the opportunities like this, you got to make time to, to get out there and, and do something extra every day to better yourself t- so that these mountains don't eat you alive when you get out here, because promise you i'm in shape and they still eat me up sometimes mm-hmm. no for sure deadfall right don't you love it <laughs> oh my goodness every day is a leg day <laughs> all day. i think is just lunges lunges every time i get into some deadfall i'm just like here we go step ups lunges <laughs> i had a i had a buddy come from north carolina and we were laughing he was in really good shape and uh he was like man every day's a leg day i said mm-hmm. you ain't lying <laughs> Yep, you ain't exactly. Lying. It's so true, man. It's so true. And, uh, you know, see, so I, I do want to ask just real quick, this is kind of off the subject here. It's definitely not healthy at all, but something I really miss is North Carolina barbecue. Man, you know, I still eat it. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just nothing like it. Like I came out here, you know, and, and barbecue, there's a bunch of good barbecue sauces and everything, but man, that Smithfield's barbecue yeah, like there's just you know what I'm talking about the cornbread or the hush puppies and That's the coleslaw right. and the Brunswick stew. Oh my goodness, man! People it's don't understand. Like, yeah, you know, when you go, like when anyone listening, you go out to North Carolina, you have to have some North Carolina barbecue. Um, people yeah. trying to imitate it out here, and it's just it's not it's not the same. Um, yep. But I anyway, agree. sorry. Back on back on healthy stuff. Not <laughs> I'm over here hungry. Um, so. With with fitness now, we've talked about you know your journey, but how do you incorporate that? Because you know I've met your son. I don't believe I've met your daughter, uh, but how he's he seems like he's a he's not a chubby kid by any means. Um, he seems like he's got endless energy from what I was seeing. Uh, and how do you incorporate you know fitness at some form you know for your kids as well uh, in your family? Obviously, they've seen what you've been doing. Uh, they see your example. But is there anything that you guys do? in your family that maybe someone who's not, you know, a world-class wrestler uh, can incorporate with their kids. Right. I just make it fun. Right. Um, At this age that, you know, he's 12 years old. This is his first elk tag. You can't hunt out here in Colorado, big game until you're 12. Um, I just make it fun. Like we might do a pull-up challenge or we might do a sit-up challenge or we might do something basic or, but, but more so of just involving them into the outdoors. So if we go shed hunting, that means we got to walk. So it ain't no complaining when we hit 10 miles and we haven't found a shed, right? So we're doing those things. And little dude, does he know or does my daughter know that they're getting exercise too? But also them being, you know, pretty small and lean, that has a lot to do with genetics because me and my wife are, are small individuals and, and pretty skinny and fit. And, uh, 
they just we pass down the genetics to them. So I, I wouldn't imagine in any of their lifetime that they're going to be big. But who knows? But I'm always involved in little things that they they don't even notice that they're working out. And then they do it. And we just do the, the challenge, the push up challenge. And then they know we're doing push ups, but they also know they don't know that they're actually getting a good workout in. Or if we go shed hunting and we're walking, you know, X amount of miles, they don't even know that we, we're getting exercise. But at the same time, we're looking for sheds, something they like to do. So I, I just incorporate those things. And then those things actually lead up to bigger things later on. But as a young age, as as my son is, he don't even know what the workout means. <laughs> he knows he knows wrestling. He knows this, but he, he don't know that he's actually exerting himself to the point where, oh man, this this hurts. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's coming up on it though. Being twelve years old, yes. he's gonna start looking at his biceps and be like, hmm, yeah, hmm, how can I yep. get these bigger? <laughs> That's right. That's what he'll That's do. That's awesome. You said he wrestles? He wrestles on and off. I don't push him to wrestle. If he wants to wrestle, then we'll go do it. But he's been off the mat for probably a year now, and uh, he doesn't seem like he has an interest to do it. So I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and push you. Mm-hmm. I want you to want to do it. And then if you want to do it, I'm all in. Right. Yeah. And and that's something that I've noticed too with kids is, uh, you know, I, I sit down at the beginning of the year and I talk to my kids. I'm like, Hey, what sport do you want to play in the spring? What do you want to play in the fall? And what are we doing over the summer? It's generally like swim lessons or something like that, but just, you know, incorporate. So there's a difference between like forcing your kids and then forcing them when they're down. So like, you know, in your son's example, I'm sure there were times where he didn't want to go to practice, but he had said he was going to do wrestling that year right. or that season. And you're like, sorry, dude, like you're, yep. you're going right. You yep. made that commitment. And that, that's where I think there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of um, misunderstanding when it comes, at least from what I've seen with parents is, you know, I almost signed a contract with my kids where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this. Here's my part. I'm paying the money. I'm coaching. I'm doing this. You're going to show up. That's the only part you've got. I'm buying you the gear. I'm doing everything that you need. If this is what you want, then you're showing up every practice and every game unless there's some crazy emergency or we're out of town. And, uh, and, and there's times where, you know, seven, eight year olds, they don't want to go, you know, they want to sit down and hang out. They had a hard day at school, whatever, whatever a hard day for an eight year old is, uh, you know, (laughs) and, and, uh, yeah, but, but pushing them in those moments is different than saying, well, you know, like what you were saying, where it would be easy for you to, to say, well, I wrestled, you know, I passed down those genetics. You're going to be a good wrestler. You need to right. wrestle. There's there's that difference there. And I, I, I love it that that you're not pushing except in the most important moments. Right. And what you were saying about going shed hunting, which I haven't gotten into. I just don't have the time for it, to be honest with you. But I'd love to if I knew more about it and I had some buddies that, that knew about it. But, um, you know, getting them out there and something that he enjoys doing. But there's not many 12 year olds that would go out and do a 10, a 10 mile hike. No, there's not, no. you know? And no. so w- when you're saying that they're just lean because of genetics, I, I would kind of disagree with you a little bit because you're pushing their limits as 12 year olds. Most 12 year olds are sitting there playing Xbox or doing whatever, um, building habits that, that are going to last them the rest of their lives. And you're helping your kids build these habits 
of, you know, this challenge was fun, right? I beat my dad today, which probably never happens, but you know, like yeah. I almost did, or I, you know, I was wrestling with my dad today or whatever. I broke a sweat. He's not going to realize that until later in life. And so I, I think that's awesome. And those are good little key tips for, for parents out there. Um, for sure. you know, don't force them unless they never live my dreams through them. There you go. There you go. Yep. And, and coaching, which I'm sure you maybe not at world-class level, but you know, I don't know if you've ever coached kids and you hear the parents that are like, do this or do it like from the sidelines. And I just, in my head, I'm like, okay, I'm not going to correct them now, (laughs) but (laughs) you know, I walk over to the kid and just let them know, Hey, this is what you're doing. And and you need to, you're, you're doing awesome. So um, yeah, don't live, don't live your dreams out through your kids. I love that. That's a, it's a good, good statement there. Um, So you're getting the kids involved in hunting, same thing. Seems like they're they're showing their own interest. Again, I, I can't imagine a twelve year old walking around with a bugle tube as much as your son does uh, without having now, that, some kind of interest. He loves that, you know. And when it's time to compete, he's a gamer, and uh, he's he's been in this journey of competing since I started. So, and then when he's seen, you know, that that I went to world championships and won worlds, then he was like, "That's what I want to do." And then he started taking off with it. And it, he's he's really good for his age. I mean, I wish I was doing that at that age. I'd probably be, you know, a 10-time world champion by now. But uh, he has jumped up, and, and that is he loves to do that. I'm, we're going to see this here in a couple weekends. Hopefully we get it on video. But um, he, he's out there hunting for his, you know, first elk. So he's going to take his bugle tube for sure. That's awesome. Is he doing rifle or muzzleloader? First, first season rifle. Awesome. awesome. Hopefully they, they still talking. I know in my experience this year is that, that, you know, the rut always starts beginning of September and it goes until the last cow is bred basically, which in, in my experience has always been, you know, you have some cows come in heat early in September, but this year was a little different. We had like one or two cows that might've came in heat, but most of them came in heat probably mid probably the 17th and down so most of the cows came in heat later and that's going to push over into october quite a bit just hopefully we have uh some some bugling bulls out there that still want to play the game and i think we will is he gonna let you call him in or is he gonna be like shut up dad i'm doing it <laughs> well i i i seriously want to see what he's got in the woods and and i'm gonna i'm gonna do some on the spot correction and and then of course uh his voice ain't as loud as mine, so I can reach out to a little bit more distance than he can. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a rifle tag, too, so we don't have to get terribly close, but it'd be cool to call him into his lap. Yeah. No, that would be. That'd be or awesome. Or let him call him into his lap. So. Yeah, that's really cool. That, that's really awesome. So, And you said that he, has he won championships as well? No. He, he placed fourth last year. He got eliminated mm-hmm. uh, two years uh, prior to that. He got beat by a former world champion twice. Well, that's not um, a bad spot to be in. <laughs> no. And then this year he came through the bracket and really, you know, I, I I wouldn't say surprised people because he was already good, but he got fourth. And, and the, the kids that beat him were um, the age 16 and 17. So mm. this the, these are their last years at that uh, age bracket because the age bracket is 11 through 17. Which okay. we know that's a big, big gap. 
yeah. between, you know, someone that's 11 and then when somebody that's 16 years old, whose voice is almost, you know, dropping to, to, you know, be a man. So mm-hmm. uh, their voice is a heck of a whole lot deeper than his, but his, uh, his call and ability is, is through the roof. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. Um, you know, that, and again, that's so cool that you're incorporating that with your family and, and just, uh, you know, again, not forcing, but encouraging and, and, and that he's willing to take that and take it to another level and willing to just compete. He doesn't even just want to go out and, and just do it in the woods, but, but actually take it up on stage. That's, that's really cool. Um, so let, let's talk a little bit about that now that we've kind of transitioned over to elk and I, we're okay. going to get here eventually. I love your stories. I heard it on, on the hunting stories podcast. Sounds like you have even more to tell and hopefully, you know, that comes out. Um, eventually you guys record another one, but as far as elk hunting is concerned, how did you get from, again, from North Carolina tied up into elk, you know, this very different whitetail hunting, maybe black bear hunting to elk hunting. What, what was it that got you hooked, I guess, on, on elk hunting? Well, um, in 2005, I missed the draw here because I got here in June. So I missed the draw here in 2005. If we had a couple of people on the team that hunted elk and they were like, yeah, you got to get in an elk hunting, this, that, and this. And I said, okay. Well, in 2006, I drew my first elk tag and I bought every video back in the day when it was all DVDs. I watched <laughs> Sportsman Channel and I bought every DVD I could about elk hunting. And I basically said, all right, I need these diaphragms. I need to be able to use these. And I drove my wife insane trying to be able to hone. I knew I was going to be in shape. The mountains weren't going to eat me up like that. I just need to know, how do I find these elk? And the best way to find them is locate them with with these calls. So I would practice and practice and practice and practice until I felt like a cow sound sounded very similar to what I'm hearing on these videos. And then I went to, you know, the first bugle tube was a Primo's Terminator, and it was easy to use. I didn't know how to use a diaphragm to bugle yet. I only knew how to cow sound with those. And I had open reeds, diaphragms, and a Primo's Terminator bugle. And um, once That's I one of those, those like uh, extendable like a uh, pipe, right? No, no, it was already a pipe, but it had the blue reed that goes on the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it it was fairly easy for me to to make a good sound with it. So uh, I I went out that first year and I located these elk and I went back to this spot every day. I didn't know anything any better. And I went back to this spot until I killed one. And it was about the fifth try going into this spot. And then I, I ended up calling one in. My buddy was below me and he had a hoochie mama. And I said, when, we, when I get him fired up, I'm going to stop calling. I'm going to let this bull come right past me and come to you. Sure enough, it just happened. Boom, I smoked this bull at 39 yards using diaphragms, determinated bugle to find him and then bring him in. And uh, then after that, I kind of felt like I needed to step my game up every year because uh, that I, I felt like that was just luck more so than the skill part. And then I just kept practicing. I self-taught myself how to call these elk. And I was watching videos and just trying to mimic these elk and what these elk were saying and try I tried to pay attention to what they were saying when they were doing it as they were saying it and then every year got a little bit better and a little bit better and I think my final like 
I broke through and was able to use a diaphragm to bugle in elk and make some really good chuckles and grunts in 2009. In 2009, that's when I was like, you know, okay, don't need to bugle, uh, the Terminator bugle no more. I'm bugling with open reeds, I mean, with, uh, with reeds. And I was doing really good. And what I was doing is, as I was practicing up to, to elk season, I was filming myself. And I was listening to it. I was like, oh, got to fix that. Oh, got to fix this. And then, lo and behold, it just got better and better and better every year. So I, that's how I really fell in love with it. When they, when I would get them to scream, it was like dragons out there. I was like, holy mm-hmm. smokes. And then you see this guy right in front of you, maybe 30 yards screaming. You're like, dude, I'm stuck. I mm-hmm. love this stuff. So every year I started getting better and better and better. And then, um, you know, I was killing elk consistently, uh, you know, through the, you know, practicing on the off season and then working myself to this, this stage where I am now. And then, uh, 2019, uh, I had a buddy of mine encourage me, man, you, you sound so good. We don't know if you're the elk or he's the elk. And you, he said, you don't, you should go compete. And I was like, I don't do that stuff, man. Um, and then he, he talked me into it and I went to this little local competition here in Colorado Springs and I, I pretty much smashed that tournament. I mean, that, that competition, they were like, the, the judges came out and they was like, you've never competed before. I was like, no, never competed before. <laughs> so, um, they encouraged me to go to another competition, which was in Salt Lake city. And I had time to fly in and check this competition out. And man, it was like 32, 32 man bracket. And they ate me up. It was some mm. great callers there. And I said, okay. I said, I, I ended up finishing like 14th out of 32 man bracket. I was like, that ain't bad, but I don't accept losing too, too well. So I had <laughs> one month to, to practice mm-hmm. before world championships. And I knew I was going to go to worlds and at least try it. And, uh, I, I practiced all these calls and got ready for it. And then, uh, Sure enough, I went to world championships and my goal was just to take out two people in the bracket. And I'd be I'd be happy with just two people in the bracket. Well, next thing you know, I was in the semis getting ready for the next day because you got to make it to the semis to make it to the next day. So that pretty much determines the top four right there. And then I had in the semis, I had a really close, a really close bout with uh, um, another guy. It was a four to three, seven judges on the panel. And uh, I won four to three, and I was like, "Wow, I just made the finals!" And, uh, and then end up going on and winning uh, the men's division of in 2019. So after that, mm. I kind of stepped up my game and went professional on the professional side. And uh, I've been plagued with uh, not having enough time, not making enough time to practice going into the professional uh, division. But uh, I've been fortunate enough to place top six on the 32 man bracket on the professional side two years in a row, but next year they're going to see a different me because I'm going I'm to dedicate some time to to, to spend uh, leading up to that competition because there's some things that, that I haven't been doing that I need to do. So mm-hmm. I think they'll see a different me and uh, it'll be a good, good competition next year. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I love hearing that. And you can, you can tell the passion you've got for it, man. You, you're, you're a competitor, uh, oh, yeah. you know, and, and you take things to the next level, obviously with, you know, again, going back to the wrestling, um, and just how you, you know, you, what I've seen as you as a parent, 
And of course, uh, here with the elk calling that that's amazing. And then, uh, you know, you work with Phelps, uh, yep. Phelps game calls. So, so that's another, that's another, uh, great company and, uh, some awesome calls over there. Um, yep. yeah, I, you know, going, going back to what got you hooked, I was a little bummed this year. Um, I was in an area where I guess, uh, Eastman's wrote an article about this area and I didn't know about it until I ran into people from four different States that came to Utah to hunt. And I was like, what are you doing? Like you went from, you crossed Colorado, which has mm-hmm. some great opportunities to come to, to Utah. Like what? <laughs> and mm-hmm. anyway, they, uh, you know, Illinois, Kansas, um, Missouri, and uh, I want to say it was Wisconsin or something like that. Ridiculous. And I'm sure there was other states out there too. But um, anyway, they were quiet, man. I, you know, they, they, uh, and I'm not the best caller, but like they, they would scream their heads off all night. I'd wake up to bugles all night and then they would just shut up as soon as the light turned on. What time of the month was that? Uh, this was, so our hunt ended the 21st of September. So I was there from the 13th through the 21st. Um, wow. And they were shutting up. That was like the very beginning of where that moon was going down. And you should have mm-hmm. seen some darker days going into that. They were screaming um, their heads off all night, man. They And right before light, I mean, they were screaming and then they were just silent. And so there was a, there was a guy that killed a little raghorn um, 24 hours after I, I, I watched my, so I dropped a pin where he killed it and I went back to my on X and I saw, I was sitting in that spot less than a hundred yards away from that spot, 24 hours earlier. And the guy, the guy had, uh, he said that this elk walked in. He didn't even know it was there. He, he said they'd been calling, nothing was calling back to him. So they were sitting there eating, uh, like an early, early lunch, late breakfast, whatever, just eating their snacks. And he heard a, a stick break. And we're, you know, there's squirrels and stuff. He was like, ah, whatever. He looked up and this elk was 50 yards from him. He was like, mm-hmm. okay. And he was like, if I was blind, I wouldn't have even known it was there. Like it, yep. no heavy breathing, no heavy footsteps, nothing. Walked into him about 25 yards. He pinwheeled it and uh, had it down. But I just, I was like, man, that sounds like whitetail hunting to me. I, I don't want to just pick a spot and wait. You know, that's not. Right. Well, you know, from my experience, especially this year, uh, we would have elk and they, they'd be talking and early morning and they, you'd hear roundup bugles. And as they're going up to their bedding spots, Mm -hmm. they were quiet. Mm -hmm. So you would hear them at nighttime. You hear them first thing in the morning at the latest, you would hear them probably seven o'clock and then boom, they were gone. So what I was doing to combat that was I knew there were elk in the area Mm-hmm. I would look at where they might be going and I'd get to those spots before they were there. And I was there at those spots and I was forcing them to talk because they had to, they knew mm-hmm. I was there already. Yep. When in my favor, forcing them to talk with, with cow sounds, especially making that bull scream, because if I'm close to that bull and I'm, and I'm sounding like I'm one in heat or ready to, you know, to, to be bred, then it forced him to give his location mm-hmm. up. So I was using that a lot. Um, but also I had a lot of encounters where the bulls were in the area and they would come in silent. They would come in silent. And I don't like hunting like that, mm-hmm. but sometimes we had to do a lot of dry setups to provoke a bull to come in. And we called in tons of them like that this yeah. year. That's tons. Awesome. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I just I I recognize that there was there was a lot of people in the area. Uh, just in this one little spot, there was at least eleven to twelve people, <clears throat> and so and like the elk them- were the elk were there, you know, one hundred percent. But I was like, I'm not willing to to fight, you know, with these other people. Um, and then the other thing too, man, how do these seven hundred pound to thousand pound, you know, on the big end creatures walk through these woods silent? They, <laughs> how, how do they do so, that? <laughs> so they are known to break and make a lot of noises. But mm-hmm. I will tell you right now is when they're they'll break some noise. I mean, some trees and stuff so far away from you as they're coming to you. But as they get closer to you, they sneak in so quietly. It's like they step between the branches and you never know. That's how a couple of them got pegged by me is they stepped on a twig and they broke a twig. And then I look in that direction, and next thing you know, they're there. But but these big old closer, racks on their heads, man. Like, how do they? They're exactly. like, you know. And I'm like exactly. trying to force my way through this way, holding my bow, you know, trying not to make a sound. And they're just like, yeah, whatever, man. <laughs> and they they know how to walk. They know how to walk right through that stuff without making a peep. And it's amazing to me. It still surprises me. Like, how come a big old animal like that can sneak up on you and you not even know it? Mm-hmm. But you you break a stick and the forest lights on fire. The squirrels go at it. The you know birds go at it. And they... that's right. <laughs> oh man, that blows me away every time. Well, that's that's cool, man. So you had success this year as far as tagging out. Um, you know, you got your tag filled. Do you have any other tags, or or is that you you had one? You were one and done this year. Well, it started off with um, an antelope tag that I had in the same area, and. Um, hmm. I went up a week before season and I was chasing some really big antelope, uh, was, wasn't successful. And then I knew when elk season started that I would, I wasn't going to devote a lot of time to the antelope tag until my tag was filled and, uh, schedule while my schedule was still open for antelope tag. Um, I still was concentrating more of my efforts on elk hunting. So I would hunt the mornings and then we found a antelope buck that was, it, he was right in the area that I was using to, you know, drive my truck back and forth to, um, to, to go to these different spots for elk season. So we, we come down the mountain on a, like the, we try to come back to camp every day, but it doesn't always happen. Um, especially if we have bugling bulls, we don't, if we're four miles in, we're not leaving, but if they're not bugling, we'll come out of there and we'll go try a different area. So we came down one time in the mountain this early in the season and I seen his antelope. He had three does with him. And I was like, I'm going to give him a try. And antelope hunting is tough with archery equipment. So I failed the first time tr- trying to get on him. Then we'd elk hunt and, you know, that'll go on. The third attempt on his antelope, he messed up and he bedded in the wrong area. And mm-hmm. I snuck up on him. I, it was a 45-yard shot that I made. But I snuck up on him just because he was bedded in the wrong area. And uh, I made I made a beautiful shot. So that's how it started off. So in between the hunts, I was boom. I filled that tag. And then throughout the season, I could have shot. I could have been done September 5th. Mm. Could have been done and tagged out. But I was I was shooting for a little bit more of an age class uh, later. In, you know, more in my career, I'm, I'm trying to look for this, you know, a bigger five or a, you know, a nice six. And mm-hmm. But our goal was to get all this on video. So in order to do that, you got to pass up some of your smaller, you know, 
bulls that are under the age class. And that's what I was doing. I was passing up mm. a lot of bulls. It was it was so it was one bull that I, I probably regret now that I probably should have got him. He was a big five and I, I probably should have shot him. And and you guys, you know, it, it, it when the video drops, you guys will see that that I, I passed up on it. And and we got into some bugling that day. It was heavy everywhere. And uh that was early in the season. I think we had a hot cow that was in the area and it just drove all the bulls in that area nuts. Um and there was a bunch of bulls that day. I think I passed up seven bulls. I could have shot three spikes because that unit is not uh point restriction and I mm-hmm. could have shot, you know, two other bulls that just didn't meet my standard at that point. Look, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna drop you my GPS next time. You write it on a note and hand it to him as you pass him up. You'll be like, hey, hey, that, there's a ginger that way that wants to see you. Go check him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, well, funny story is opening day, opening morning, we went in on an area and I was I was the first one in that area. And mm-hmm. on our way out, so I passed up on two bulls opening day and lo and behold, I found out that someone that I knew was in there and he had killed the bull that I passed up on. He sent me a picture later and it was the exact same bull that mm. I passed up on. He told me the story later. He said, I heard you calling and that bull came from the area you was calling from. <laughs> and I was laughing about it. And I seen the picture. I was like, yep, I passed up on that bull. You're like, I sent, um, I sent him your way. <laughs> yep, yep. So uh, that, that, that was funny. But on our way out of there, I was like, holy smokes, there's a lot of people in here. Well, I didn't know that they were all going to come in after I had I had been there. So uh, we moved areas and left that area alone for, for a little while. And then uh, we came back in to visit it a few other times. And it was some elk in that area for sure. Um, but not not some of the ones that I wanted to chase yet. And then later on in the season, there was some giants that, that moved into that area that we stayed on and got on. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think next year I'm going to go to one of our limited entry units and uh, and go for a spike because you can go into to our limited entry units and and get that experience, right, where you, you can get in close on these bulls and everything, but you, you're you limited to, to hitting a spike um, unless, obviously, you have, you've been drawn for the tag. But that takes – some of these units would take – you know, 10, 15 years to draw. But, um, you know, I had a buddy send me a video from, uh, from one of these units. And uh, I mean, bulls were just raking, they were being nasty towards each other, just in the middle of the day. And I was like, see, that's what got me hooked on elk. Not the, if I want to hunt whitetails, I'll just go back to North Carolina. And, you know, I know some people would land and and I've got a, a license there that I can just pull tags and I'll go sit in a tree. You know, I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm looking for with elk, you know? Right. Um, so that that's awesome, man. That, that's cool. I'm excited for that video to drop. Uh, do you know when that's coming out, more or less? Um, you know, Whenever honestly, it's, it's well, we got a production part of it, mm-hmm. um, and we'll have to see what what it what it pans out to be. The footage is great. I can say that. Um, but I'm thinking next year, uh, next year sometime because you know, people start getting revved up and then they'll, mm, you know, I'm mm. looking for people to check it out and check out what, what we, we've done. Yeah. And uh, the, the footage was great. I might drop some, some hints along the way. Like here's a piece of the hunt. Here's a piece of the hunt, but mm-hmm. never, not the whole thing. And I really don't know exactly when it's going to drop. And then we're going to drop like a, after like we show the hunt and we put it all together for a, a good short film, then we'll drop a 10 day series of, each day leading into this 
So, um, awesome. but it's going to be, it's, it's going to be good. Um, we ended up at the very end of the season, kind of wrap it up for you. We, uh, we, we got into an area and I discussed with a, with a buddy of mine. I say, you know, the last two, two days that, that were kills that y'all probably see on social media. Uh, those, those weren't the last days of season by no means, but th- these were the last two days that we spent up there. Um, so we got into an area and I finally let my buddy call in one for me. And, um, I, we had missed the herd. I knew where they were going and we was going to cut them off and then call them in. And I missed them by minutes and they had been in front of me already. Well, we, lo and behold, we called us. I had my buddy call for me and we called a satellite off that herd. And that ends up being the one that I shot. Um, ended up being a 19 yard shot. He only ran 80. Wow. I'll drive him straight through both shoulders. Uh, awesome. it, it lodged into the, the far shoulder. It busted through the first shoulder and he piled up, ended up being a heart shot and he only went about 80 yards. And yeah, then, awesome. uh, we got it all out. It was three of us. We got, we got it all out at one, one go, which was a lot of, lot of weight on us. And then, uh, the next day we took that evening off. Next day we went in there and I called in a three thirty seven for my buddy. He shot that one. Wow. That's a big bull. Yeah. So we, we ended up scoring that bull and he, he scored three thirty seven at the, uh, he was a seven by six. The only thing he was missing was the mass. If he had mm. the mass that carried it all the way up, he would have scored probably close to 360, but he was just missing that mass and that, that front time length. So those brow tines wasn't as strong as some of your 360 bulls, but it was a great first archery bull for him for sure. No, for sure, man. That's awesome. That's really cool. Well, well, sweet dude. Well, thank you so much for sharing, uh, you know, a little bit about your season and, and kind of your, your history leading up to being the the professional caller that you are, how passionate you are about elk hunting. Um, I just, I love it. You, you can tell that you're one of those people that just loves to compete and you like to push yourself. You don't need someone else to push you. If you didn't have anyone else around you, you'd still go out there. You'd still elk hunt. If you didn't have cameras, if you didn't have any of that stuff, you'd still be out there getting after it. Cause it's just something that you love. Uh, that that's really cool. Um, if you want, I guess in parting, uh, what is something that maybe you want to share with the listeners, uh, that, you know, whether it be about hunting, fitness, family, something that you want to leave with, with the people listening? Well, first of all, um, personally, like if you want just, just, just taking it all in perspective of, I, I try to chop everything in life as, as small as possible so I can digest it. Right. So if you take in like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, that's too much. So so take pieces of it. So if you want to be a successful elk hunter, take pieces of your past elk hunt and put them together to make one big journey, right? In order for you to be able to be good at calling, then you have to practice a little bit at a time every day. So I take I take life the same way. In order for me to be successful, I have to take these one little steps at a time to achieve my goals. I'm always teaching my kids what I've learned through through failure. And don't take failure as, man, I'm not good. With failure comes success. I failed more than I've been successful. So with that being said, I promise you, yeah, it sounds like, you know, yeah, he's a he's he's the, he's the toughest one out in the mountains. I've failed more than I've succeeded. But I know throughout those failures are going to come success. 
So even this year, it's been a couple, couple times where I was like, wow, I just totally messed that up. And then, but I built off that stuff. And then uh, always teaching my kids the same things that, that I've learned in my wife. So treasure all those little things because at the very end, how, we don't know how long we're going to be able to chase these elk in the woods. And if, if tomorrow was my last day, then I had a heck of a season. That's amazing. I love it, man. That's that's exactly what I I think a lot of the listeners, they're probably sick and tired of me saying just one day at a time, one step at a time, you know, just like what you were saying, chop it up into little little bits and pieces that you can digest instead of trying to just become the master elk caller or whatever it is, become the most fittest individual tomorrow, you know, doing right. little bits at a time, right? And that that's amazing. That's right. Thank you so much for that. Well, I appreciate it, man. Uh, where can people find you if they want to uh, look at your your bulls that you've knocked down or uh, your journey? Yep, you can uh, follow me at uh, it, on Instagram uh, at Jermaine Hodge underscore Colorado, or you can just type in Jermaine Hodge, and if you got a big old elk picture on there, then that's me. Or if you got a hunting <laughs> picture on there, that's me. And then you can also find me at uh, Koha, uh, Colorado High Altitude Hunters. Um, that's a little bit of a, a side hustle that that is at the very beginning. And all we're doing is educating people on on elk hunting, and you'll see some posts on there. It's not as big as uh, my my personal pages, but um, but you can find me on all the social media platforms. And then also, there's an article that's in my Instagram. It's in my bio. Just click on that article, and it takes you to the Colorado Bow Association. And I talk about uh, elk calling techniques and tips. And, uh, you can see that too, as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll leave those links down below guys. Go check out Jermaine and his journey and, uh, and this new adventure that he's got going on with Koha. I'm definitely going to go check that out myself as well. So let's get better guys. And of course, this is how I always end it. I always say, get out, live your life and love it. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in guys. That was just a great conversation. I love having these wholesome conversations with people that are just crushing it and always looking forward, are grateful for what they have, are grateful for the path that they've been on and what's coming in the future and are working their tails off for it. So if you want to look at Jermaine's content, uh, go check him out. I'm going to leave the links for finding him down below. And uh, of course, guys, I'd love to have you over at Redbeard's Fit Crew and the First Form Outdoors pages over on Facebook. Again, if you don't have Facebook, shoot me an email down below and I'd love to find a way to get you in on those calls. So again, thanks so much guys for tuning in today. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great rest of your weekend. Go spend out outside time, whether it be by yourself, but preferably with loved ones, make memories, get out there guys. And of course, live your life and love it.